Welcome to the number one podcast covering Michigan State basketball. The Final Four is not in the schedule. Join Rod and me, Eric, as we dive deep into the Spartans to get you prepared for every game. Subscribe today for in-depth recruiting updates and fantastic interviews with today's important college basketball personalities like Robbie Hummel. Thanks for having me. I, uh, I have listened to your guys' podcasts numerous times on drives throughout any Midwestern Big Ten city, so I, I am big fans of your guys' work. Jay Billis. And next time, hey, if anybody in Michigan wants a December tea time, call me. You wimps won't show up, but I'll I'll be there. I'll be there and play in the cold. And Izzo will be in front of the fire with hot chocolate. Coaches Thomas Kelly. Oh, no problem. Glad to be back, man. Glad to be back. Mike Garland. You just can't sit there and trade twos for threes. You can't do it. You're gonna lose. Coming down the stretch, you're gonna lose. And more. You won't find better coverage of Spartan Hoops than you will get here. For both the casual and hardcore fan, come along as we take you for a green and white ride. Hey everybody, it's Eric alongside Rod here to talk about MSU's loss to the top-ranked Purdue Boilermakers in West Lafayette on Saturday, 80-74. Thanks again for tuning in as we continue to strive to offer you the best MSU basketball coverage. Thanks to everyone who left written reviews and their podcast players. We really appreciate it and couldn't thank you enough for helping us grow the audience and show. We're now only a few games away from the end of the season where we'll crown our champion in the Big Ten Standings Challenge. You can check out your predictions and compare them to Rod's at tffinots.com slash contests. We'll also, again, have our bracket challenge. Uh, we'll invite our sponsors, uh, Dom and Rod and I, and whoever else wants to compete for uh, nudge g- printing gift cards. So make sure you check out that will be after uh, the Big Ten tournament, obviously, after the selection Sunday. Uh, well, Rod, this game went pretty much the way you expected from even before the season began, the sense of final, uh, final outcome, I guess. The actors, uh, a little different, but the ending plays the same as before. Performance again, horror show in the sense that Zach Eady dominated as he has in so many games this year, and Purdue was lethal from behind the arc. Michigan State will now have to pick up the pieces and try to snap a three-game losing skid at home against a team that seems to have had their number, the Wildcats from Northwestern. The one thing I'll say about this losing streak that's interesting is just how I felt differently after every game. For Iowa, I was just kind of mad at the poor effort. Ohio State was just disappointment sort of watching that slow-motion train wreck. Purdue was just annoying watching that team. Uh, just worst... Just knowing that if they played well that over as they did against Purdue those the previous two weeks, they probably would have had three more wins. And so this team is continues just <laughs> to frustrate. And I don't know. Uh, it'll be an interesting senior day at in East Lansing on Wednesday night against Northwestern. But let's talk about this game uh, in the sense that, you know, that we saw a lot of things that we've seen in the past. New developments and the emergence of Xavier Booker, Booker playing a little bit more of a role as well as Kohler. But um I think it just kind of came down to guard play again, and I don't, I'd be interested to get your thoughts. Well, I, I think that Michigan State did a lot of the things that were necessary to have a chance to win that yeah. game. So, and, and we'll go back through our keys, obviously, but, you know, one of the things that you got you to gotta hit shots from three. You have to. Mm-hmm. They did. They were nine for 21. Um, 43% from three. So they did that. You got to find a way to hang in there in, in terms of your rebounding. Well, they, they did that. They actually actually had three more offensive rebounds than Purdue yeah. in this game. Now, <laughs> um, I got to do some quick math. 33 it's a lower percentage just because they're less uh, it's 33 to 28 32 to 28% in yeah. favor of Purdue. So but yeah. but close enough. You're you're talking yeah, about, about a Purdue team that 
is, a, as we said, is dominant at both ends, probably the best rebounding team in that country when you take into consideration both ends of the court. And Michigan mm-hmm. State hunted there. You can't have a situation where um, you're you're giving the ball away a lot. You know, they did. Michigan State had seven turnovers. Purdue had nine. Now you hope for maybe a slightly bigger advantage there, but realistically, that was probably about right. So mm-hmm. a, a lot of the things that they did were the kinds of things and the level of play that you would say were necessary to compete in this game. And in fact, that's what happened. They were in this game pretty much the whole way. Um, yeah. Purdue Purdue never Purdue never was able to put Michigan State away. They certainly had double-digit leads at some points in the second half, but they never really pulled away. Um, the difference, I think, was two things. If you look for why were they unable to win the game? Um the biggest two things to me were an inability to hit shots at the rim inside mm-hmm. the inside the arc in general, but I'll say at the rim, uh, considering both layup and short shots, short jumpers. Yeah. You know the the, the AJ Hogard shots, five footer um, floaters. Yeah, yeah, right. That that just they were terrible. Um, mm-hmm. uh, Michigan State was, what were they? So they were 39. Just doing some quick math here. So 43. Yeah, I mean, just terrible. Just terrible inside the arc. And you can't have that. When you get those kinds of point-blank shots, you got to hit them. You got to hit it. Certainly, you got to hit a better percentage than Michigan State hit in that game. To, to do something that's extremely difficult to do. Remember the, the curve that we're talking about here. You're talking about trying to beat the number two team in the country in their building where they don't lose often to anybody. Michigan State hasn't won in a decade. That includes mm-hmm. some very good Michigan State teams that were unable to win in that building. So that's, that's the curve you're working with, right, that you're on. You can't blow easier opportunities. You can't do it. Not with the frequency Michigan State did. The second thing was you kind of, and we talked about this in the in the pregame to an extent, that you really had to hope Michigan State played an A game and maybe Purdue came in with a C plus, right, to have a shot. And and that really didn't happen, mostly measured by by the fact that I think you know, you look at Purdue hitting 10 of 20 from three. <laughs> yeah, that was the case. That's yeah. if you're adding, because we saw they usually Michigan State, I can't think of an instance where this wasn't the case. Um, Michigan State <clears throat> typically does not sell out completely against Purdue to stop their, their five man. I'm not just talking about Zach Eaton either. I'm going back through the years prior. Michigan State has mm-hmm. never really done that. And and Zach Eady makes it difficult to do that anyway, and they didn't do that against Zach Eady. Zach Eady had a huge game. Um, but the problem is you had to hope that when those opportunities did not happen, 
um, where Zach Eady was scoring easily, and Purdue got open looks that they weren't going to hit them. And they, we talked about it in the pregame. This is a better team than a year ago in one very important way. They shoot much, much better from three. And they came in shooting 40%. Well, they beat that by about 10% in this game. And that, yeah. that again, was something that you probably needed to have them uh, not hitting as well as they normally do come out there if you really wanted a great chance to win. You needed them to have a little, I'm not saying needed them to shoot 10%, but you needed them to be a little bit substandard. And they were anything but that. They just, yeah. in big moments when Michigan State would make a push, they'd get it to five, they'd get it to three. Uh, Purdue almost invariably answered with a triple. And, you know, that you tip your hat, in those situations, that's the thing. Purdue creates, because of Edie, they create so many problems for you that you're likely going to give up something. Either you're going to give up easier opportunities to Edie, or if you're really swarming him, you're going to give up a good look at three. And you just had to hope that they weren't dialed in, and unfortunately for Michigan State, they were. So, you know, it's... It's frustrating only in the sense that you come away from it if you're Michigan State. I think feeling as if, yeah, I don't think it was Michigan State playing an insanely great. Clearly, they didn't, but you you feel like you played pretty well. Yeah, you you played well enough to to win. Certainly, and it's hard. You know, people tell oh, if they played this well, they would have won last three game. Well, every game is different. The, the, the mm-hmm. approach is different. The things you're being asked to do are different. I don't know about all that. I, I do know that I thought it, it measured in terms of adherence to a game plan and doing the things that you're, that you're setting out to do at a reasonably high level, this was a better performance from MSU than we've seen most of the time this year. They've played yeah. better than this, but not often. Um, and, and so it's a little bit frustrating when you can say that in all honesty, it's accurate and yet you still, you still lose. But I think you also have to take into account the difficulty of the challenge that you had in front of you. And on top of that, that Purdue also played well by their standards. They did a lot of the things that they expect to do in a game or better as we mentioned yeah. in three-point shooting. So, you know, what are you, what are you going to do? It's um, it's unfortunate, but I I think that... Uh, I think Michigan State needed to really win this thing, as we talked about. They needed a little bit of good fortune and a little bit better execution in one very important area that they did not get. And... That's it. That's enough. Yeah. When the, when when you're facing this kind of situation, that's enough to get you a loss. So you've got to be you've got to be that much better. Yeah, no question. And I and I think you know this is one of those games where had Michigan State beaten Iowa and Ohio State in whatever manner, you know, had they just gotten oh, the wins, people would be I think we'd very be very satisited. You'd be people feeling be very feel good very about good this about game. It. 
but but then the, but then it, you know if they'd won those two games would they have played like this i, I don't know <laughs> i don't know and, and it's you know it's and that's fair, that, fair question yeah and that that's the yeah that's the front you want to talk about frustrating things that's the frustrating thing you're talking about a veteran team where you seriously have to wonder about that kind of thing rather than hey we know what we're gonna get which is what you should have been you absolutely should have expected and you have not seen yeah i mean i think it just i I don't know i mean it's one of these nebulous things i think you could just say it's just a, a failure of leadership within the within the team that they can't do this consistently like play focused and i because i think they played focused they played like they definitely understood the game plan they were they executed pretty well. Like, you know, we talked about rebounding. There's no question there was a different emphasis, but I'm sure that emphasis is there every game. <laughs> Yet for most of the time, they don't seem to do it, except when, you know, that's uh, they're sort of told they can't do it. So I don't know. It's just, it's been a, it'll be uh, an era that I'll be okay to see pass. And I feel kind of bad saying that, but I'm just sort of ready to turn the page. Um, not to say that I'm not ready. I'm ready for the season to end. Because I still think this team could do some things and I, unpredictable. I think we just won't know. But it is a little frustrating that you just you just see so much inconsistency throughout the season with veteran senior leadership that you just you just wouldn't expect. Yeah, I'm I'm ready for a uh, a new era at one mm-hmm. really important position. Let's put it yeah, that way. Well, I think yeah, I think that's and, and that goes with everybody. Yesterday, yesterday was yet again another example of it you know and and i'll say this and there there will be a certain cohort of listeners that won't like this but um i don't give it the emphasis certain quarters on personnel has from the get-go and this includes yesterday been a um a red herring it's always been a very simple deal. And once again, yesterday was another example of this. If you don't get high-level play from your guards, specifically your point guard, but others too, Michigan State will not win at the levels that people wanted to see and thought they would see. That's it. That's the name of the game. You can talk about the center spot. You can talk about everything else you want, but it really doesn't matter very much. If you don't get high-level guard play, you are not going to win. I don't know how many times people need to, to see that laid out to accept it. That's it. And you can fiddle, and, and I've talked about here and elsewhere that the the situation at the five or the number of minutes Xavier Booker gets all of that as being something at the margins. And I still Mm -hmm. believe that's true because look at what you saw yesterday. You saw Xavier Booker have a productive game, right? No question. I'm happy to see that. But, But did they win? No. Why didn't they win? Well, Pull up ye old numbers and let's take a <laughs> damn look. Why didn't they win? I see a point guard three for 13 from the floor, and the vast majority of those came within five feet of the rim. There's one reason. That seems pretty obvious. 
I see Tyson Walker five for 15. That's another good reason. I mean, come on. It's just, yeah. It's a, what are we doing here? It's a joke. If that's where your <laughs> obsession is, that's where your focus is. You're missing the forest for the trees. You just are. They are not going to win games like this if they don't get better play from their guards. That's it. Nothing else is really worth that much drama or oxygen. That's how I see it. There are people out there who differ. I think they're dead wrong. Well, I mean, let's just kind of go through a few of the numbers that you mentioned just with Tyson. There's no question Tyson Walker was the best player in this team for the first half, maybe a little bit beyond of the season. And he's still a good player, There's no, but he is just not what he was. And I don't know whether it's the injury or, uh, but he has yeah, certainly just not been, you know, he's not been shooting as well. And again, that's, a, that just points to if he's not playing as well, there's got to be someone who picks up that slack and we just don't have that at this point. I mean, Malik Hall's definitely been playing better, but, um, you know, not to just put everything on AJ, but certainly Tyson has not been as sharp for whatever reason. Well, he, look, I think that it's certainly fair to assume that his health has had something to do with it. No, Nobody really knows. Nobody knows yeah. how he's... Come on. These, these kinds of absolutes, you can, you can assume that that's a factor, but you know what? I've seen guys that were supposedly perfectly healthy miss shots for games after game after game. <laughs> Yeah. So who knows? Yeah. Uh, he looks reasonably healthy. When I see him play, I don't see obvious. I mean, I'll just say that. I don't see obvious signs that he's limited physically. You know, sometimes you see it. I don't see it. He's he's still quick. He's still mm-hmm. able to get to spots on the floor that he wants yeah. to get to. So I don't know. But yeah. it's not. He has yeah, he's not as. He's not as efficient. He's not as efficient. There's no arguing with the results. And, you know, that's the other thing, too. Yesterday, he only took two three-pointers. So he's not, he wasn't getting those shots. Never mind making them. He wasn't getting them. So, um, you know, that's, that's a problem. But the biggest problem is your point guard. I mean, that's, that's just it. Yeah. I'm, I mean, missing. I'm sorry. How many layups did he miss? I mean, it was yeah, like well, a lay up, layup uh, or floater, the two foot, three foot floaters. Yeah. Can't have it. Yeah, can't have it. And and that's you know that's your ball game. That's a big part of it, at least. Is that when you don't get efficiency from that guy in that at that spot in those positions on the floor. And you think you're going to go in and beat the number two team in the country on their building? No. That's why they lost. Or well, one of the big reasons. I would say reason A, and then the way Purdue shot being reason B. Sure. Um, yeah. That's it. Yeah, I would only add that, you know, AJ, the one thing, offensively, he was not good. I thought he was pretty good defensively. I mean, he had a number of steals. He was, I thought... I thought it pretty good, and he played with a lot of energy. Played, and... I thought he played hard. Yeah, you I know, just, there, just there, couldn't finish. The the occasional criticism, which is a valid one at times, that he didn't come in with focus or play play with sufficient energy, those types of things. That was not the issue. But 
look, he's down to his last two last few games of his career at Michigan mm-hmm. State. So uh that's not enough. It's you gotta play with efficiency. And he was anything but efficient in that game. Yeah, and I let's talk about Xavier Booker a little bit, because you know everyone's obviously obsessed about it and we're not gonna get into how many minutes you played because I don't think if we either of us find that interesting. But I would say uh, I was really impressed with him in the sense that he seemed more comfortable offensively in a flow, setting picks on the roll, and and that the three, the two threes he had were obviously really nice in that sequence. Then he started getting abused defensively by Edie, who you know, let's be honest, he abuses everybody, so it's right. not like it was unique to was Xavier. That, right? Yeah, he got buried more than the other guys, maybe, but whatever, you know. Um, but I, I, his progression is really he's looking much more comfortable on the floor, much yeah. more comfortable playing and so i you can definitely see what he's going to become you can see why he was so highly sought after and i just it i just hope people realize that it, you know this wasn't if you've been watching this is not what he looked like six weeks ago certainly um so it's great that that he's going to i mean at this point you i almost wonder why you don't start him now you probably won't start him next game just because it's senior day and you'll start Mahdi for that reason but i wonder if you just at some point you just kind of start him for the rest of the season I mean, what do you, how are your feels there? I know it's not your primary focus, but certainly it's an important position. I don't care. <laughs> I, yeah. I say that, I say that not because, not because I don't think he's, he's playing well. He has been, but when you're talking about starting cares. Yeah. Well, it's, just, it's minutes total, right? That really matters. Yeah, when you're, that, matters. The, yeah, that matters. Floor the end if of the you're going to tell yeah. me, if you're going to tell me, well, he need he should be seen a certain number of minutes. Okay, that's a dis- that's a discussion. Starting, who cares? Yeah, it doesn't matter. I mean, Monty Sissoko starts these games. He's he's not even. They're not even waiting until the first TV timeout to substitute. That's been the case all season. Yeah. yeah. So who cares? Yeah. But, but well, I mean, minute, yeah. Do I think that he deserves to play? Has he earned the right? to see more time on the floor. Yeah, probably so. But I think he's been getting it. I mean, he played, what did he play? 17 mm-hmm. minutes against Ohio State. He played 12 in this game. It was also true that he had foul some problems. foul yeah. trouble, yeah. which I think affected that a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, that's all great. Ain't going to make the difference. Hate to tell you. You can yeah. play Xavier Booker for 40 <laughs> minutes. If they don't get better guard play, it doesn't matter. All right? But that, so that's I, that. That's my frustration with this, this whole discussion. And I want to make yeah, this really right. clear. It is yeah. not that there's no case to make. It's not that anyone, least of all me, is saying, well, the play at the five spot has been perfectly adequate this year. None of that is the case. But it's when it becomes a collective obsession of people. And I can, you know, I've, I've talked on the Spartan Mag board about this. It, the reason that happens is because you've got the guards that you've got. So it's it's not as if they could say, well, screw it. Hogard has not played well. He ought to sit. They can't do that. So the, mm-hmm. the feeling is, well, that's something you can do. You could play Xavier Booker more, but it's it's this, I, I call it the illusion of control. It's this belief that because this is something you can control, that it really matters. 
that at bottom line matters. You know, it may be that you score a few more points, but is it the difference between winning and losing games? No, it's not. It just isn't. And I don't think it, I don't think that's ever been the situation with this team. I've, I've said this a few times. I'm going to say it once more. The reason Michigan State was perceived to be the type of team or was perceived to be an elite team coming into the season was because the belief was that it had elite guards. Mm -hmm. It does not. That has been demonstrated. That is why they are not nearly as good as people thought they would be. And Xavier Booker playing 20 minutes, Xavier Booker playing 30 minutes doesn't change that. It doesn't change it in a fundamental way. It just doesn't. So, yeah. you know, the, the, the Booker conversation is, first of all, it gets really boring from my perspective. <laughs> um, it really gets dull because it's, it, it doesn't fundamentally spend that much time talking about something that's actually going to make a fundamental difference in winning and losing. And then, then we've got something worth all the time, but this stuff, it's, as I've said, it's at the margins. And I think, I think last night it was at the margins, you know, they got, they got the best game arguably of the season out of Xavier Booker. Did they win? Did they win? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. No. And why didn't they win? Well, the reason, one of the main reasons they didn't win is exactly what I've been talking about. Their guards were not good enough. So, mm -hmm. you know, that's where I land on it. I think it's dull. I I think that uh, the obsession, I mean, it's, it's good to see Booker playing better. That mm -hmm. I completely, I think is, you know, that's assuming that you keep him. That's a meaningful thing for perhaps for next year. You know, you're getting somebody who's going to have some confidence rolling into next season. And that, that's something you can work with. And maybe next year, maybe next year he is critical. But he's probably sure. only going to be critical for this team if they find a way to get better guard play. So that yeah. means all the new guys that are coming in have to be better than what they're replacing. Now, ask me that question of the likelihood of that happening five months ago, and I would have laughed you out of the room. Now, <laughs> well, the bar isn't as high. So who knows? <laughs> yeah, it's, I think I you mean, know, it's not. You... It's just not. I mean, can I, can Jeremy Fears be a better player in totality than A.J. Hogarth has been this year? Hell oh, yeah. yeah. No question. Yeah. Hell yes. Will he be? I don't know. But can he be? Yeah. If he's healthy, mm -hmm. sure. Yeah, and I I think, you know, one thing is, you know, obviously Booker has been not hurt, but the, the discussion has been sort of been aggravated by the fact that he was five-star coming in, highly rated, and so people were, you know, why we're not seeing this guy. And I, so I understand some frustration for people that way, but whatever. Um, yeah, I think the, the thing that we always see for these special runs in March for Michigan State is they have a core that's good, and then you see an emergence of like a right. Draymond Green or somebody, right? Like this is the time where if you, we had really good guard play and now you have Xavier Booker starting to emerge like he is, yep. now you think, oh, we've got a special player. Maybe Car maybe uh, Cone Carr starts you, but you don't have that, right? And so what you see, it's that there's no foundation there. And so you can add like other pieces around yep. the side, but That's if the foundation is not good, it's 100%. not going to work out for you probably. 
hundred percent. I said at at the outset of the season when it was when it was pretty obvious that Book had not made the kind of strides I'd hoped for over the summer, that the key needed to be Booker and Carr being difference makers by late February. Right. That that would be that but but that presupposes that you're in a position for them to make a difference. And you're exactly right. It would be a whole other story if we were talking about a team where the guards had played at the level that they needed to. And in fairness, a situation where Michigan State was getting more out of Madi and Carson Cooper and Jackson Kohler as well. You know, that would that yeah. would be the other thing there too. I, I do think that the, the frustrating thing about the Booker obsession is that of course, there are truths here that nobody nobody seriously questions, <laughs> which is, have they gotten good play out of their fives? No. Those guys have not played as well as you'd hope. Is that, an, is that the most important thing, a critical thing for this team? No. It's not. Right. It's not what matters most. And I would say, I would also argue that, you know, when Booker is out there playing, it's not like the guards are playing a lot better. Cause, you know, that's been one of the, well, you know, if you see a guy pulls someone off the, out of the, out of way from the basket, there might have been a play here, there, where there's a slight change. But essentially, that was not what, that's not what AJ's problem with missing layups. I mean, he missed everything in the first half, and that's when Booker played more minutes. So I don't know. I mean, I, this is, this is where I land on, on that stuff. In theory, that sounds cute. In practice, the shots that A.J. Hogarth misses are shots that he should hit. Mm-hmm. That's it. I mean, look at yeah. last night. Were those were those shots? And I, and I hear that that stuff. Well, well it, it makes the it makes the job easier for the guards. Yeah, I, I get the idea in theory that you're stretching the floor. You're you're not allowing bigs to camp uh, right under the rim. But in practice, AJ Hogard, AJ Hogard should hit the shots he takes regardless. They're not; these are not difficult shots that he's missing. They're just not. So, yeah, I, I don't know in practice how much of a difference that's truly making. Well, one thing that can make a difference in your life is having good gutters, right, Rod? So make sure, make sure it's spring is here, rain's coming soon. I say spring's here at the first week of March. I know I'm cursing myself because it's like 70 degrees outside today as we're talking. Uh, and I'm sure a week from now it'll be about seven degrees or 27 or something like that. It'll be snowing. But for now, we can enjoy the weather. But it also means rain's on the way. And you're going to make sure the water's taking away from your house and not going down the side of your house, pooling around your house. So you need to have good gutters to take care of that. And of course, who do you have to turn to but the brothers that just do gutters? They do the best job. You can get a hold of them here on the west side of the state or on the east side of the state. They can take care of all the problems you have, whether it's just cleaning them out, putting leaf guards on maybe, so you don't have to get on the ladder anymore, or uh, they can replace them or repair them. Whatever you need done, they can take care of the job. So check it out at the final four, on the schedule.com slash support. You can find ways to link to get an estimate from either Kurt or Greg, depending where you are in the state. And so make sure you take care of that stuff that's so important to your house. All right. So the Bishop State player they need to keep in the gutter was Braden Smith. I think we can confidently say they did not keep Braden Smith in the gutter. <laughs> He was fantastic. He played the whole game, 40 minutes, eight for 11 from the field, four for four from three, three or four from the line. He had nine defensive rebounds, three assists, two turnovers, a steal, 
23 points. Uh, the interesting thing, I think, you know, I saw some set where he was over the previous three games, he was, I think, two for nine or like maybe one for nine from three. In this game, he's four for four. He's, you know, perfect. He was fantastic. He was really good. He was, I mean, he was the best guard on the, fl- on the floor. <laughs> yep. Yeah. And, you know, there are some guys wearing black and green uniforms that should really um, be looking at themselves in the mirror today about that fact. But uh, look, I think we we said this, that, that what I think the question that still exists in my mind with Braden Smith was not one that Michigan State was going to ask, which right. is how do you respond when you've got ball, consistent ball pressure coming at you for 40 minutes? That's still the open question because when that's happened this year, I still see, I still see shakiness. And I, I don't know if I believe that he'll ever be a guy that deals with that in a great way. I think sometimes that, that part of things is sort of baked in. You either are that guy or you aren't. And, you know, Mateen Cleaves was that guy. He could handle mm-hmm. someone in his face for 40 minutes. Physically, he could handle it. Mentally, he could handle it. His his skill set with his with his handle could could work well in those conditions. Uh, but Michigan State was not going to do that. Now, this might be a situation. Maybe Tom Izzo would have felt differently, would have approached it differently, um, if. Um, if he had Jeremy Fears, I was to wondering work that with. too. If he yeah. had one more body, and I think mm-hmm. it's possible. We'll never know. I, yeah. I I will say it's not. You know, it's come out in recent weeks that the reason, if you remember the preseason talk about, well, Michigan State feels they've got the kind of depth that they can apply full court man pressure, a lot more ball pressure, and we right. saw it. We saw it in sporadically we saw it early on and then it just disappeared well the belief on the coaching staff is that it was having a negative effect on the quality of their half court defense that they didn't when they when a team handled that pressure and and got into half court sets that msu was not playing with the kind of focus they needed to and so they abandoned it for that reason. Okay, I, I, I'm going to take their word for it, certainly. But um, in this game, I, I do think, and that's another thing, too, I guess you could say to be fair to MSU, is considering that they're completely unable or unwilling to play the style that is best suited to giving you a chance against Purdue, it's it's impressive they were able to be as competitive as they were. But yeah, um, but a- anyway, bringing it back around to Braden Smith, that's what you need to do if you're really going to have a chance to take that guy off his game. You've got to be able to do that, and in my opinion, at least, that's what gives you a chance because that's his weakness. If you know on the broadcast last night, they they emphasized a lot how easy it was for Purdue to get the ball to Zach Eadie. And mm-hmm. I would say, I would say even broader than that, it was easy for them to run their offense. Michigan State 
did not make it. Now, that doesn't mean that Michigan State played poorly defensively. It's that stylistically, the way they played was going to allow this particular team to do what they wanted to do because Purdue's capable of doing that against the standard way MSU defends. And that's exactly what we saw. And particularly against Braden Smith, man, if you make it, if you don't make things hard on him, he can have a night like the one he had where he just, he really took the game over. I mean, I thought he was their best player. I know Edie scored more points, but I think, I think the difference um, in this particular game, you expect that from Edie against Michigan State because the way they're going to defend him. That's my point. Braden Smith was the reason I picked him as the guy is that he was a little more of an unknown in the way that it's not as automatic. You've got a chance maybe that he doesn't have that kind of day. Well, that went out the window very early on. Yeah. They didn't make it comfort. They didn't make him uncomfortable. Like they didn't make him uncomfortable. Yeah. And to his credit, he delivered. He hit yep. shots. He hit shots that he hadn't been hitting as consistently recently. All right. So then we go to the squeegee squad of Grand Rapids. No better team to take care of your window cleaning, whether it's your house, your business, maybe a high rise, whatever you need done, whether it's a small job, a big job, they've taken care of our windows. They did fantastic work, meticulous, well-priced. Uh, 15% off, you mentioned rebound when you get your estimate. Again, you can get, find a way to link to that at our contact page at or the, uh, sorry, support page at the final fours on the schedule.com slash support. Uh, they sponsor the player that Michigan State has cleans the glass best. And uh, neither of us got at this game, which was, we had a new winner <laughs> for a player. It was Tyson Walker with seven rebounds. Uh, you had Malik Hall. I had um, Mahdi Sissoko. Mahdi played, I think, three seconds in this game. He ended up hit. Miraculously, he got one rebound in his six minutes. It's pretty, uh, pretty impressive. Uh, so, I don't know. I mean, from a rebounding standpoint, though, I guess we'll talk about in the keys of the game, too. But I thought it. the one thing I would say about this game that I noticed versus even maybe even the Baylor game is Michigan state was doing gang rebounding on the defensive end, which I don't yes. feel like I've ever, I've seen this year. Like yes. everybody was going for the ball. I agree. And it was, even when they've played Illinois and other games, it doesn't seem like it, it just, it just looked different to me. And maybe I'm just my perception, but it certainly no, seemed like. I, no, I think you're emphasis. right. I think you're right. It was, it was that everybody was actively um, going for loose balls, meaning rebounds that were there to contest it. And so that's what you, that's what will give you a chance against Purdue. And it did give them a chance and they hung in there because of it. Um, there were a lot, I would say more than most games we've seen this year. The clean rebounds were hard to come by in this game, you know, and that was in large mm -hmm. part because Michigan state competed so well in that area. They were, they were constantly getting hands on rebound opportunities and keeping the ball alive. So uh, that was an area where I thought they they did pretty well, you know, and to see Tyson of seven rebounds, that's that's an indication of that. It's they were active. Everybody was involved, all five guys. And, you know, if you do if you did that more often, you'd have had a better season in that regard. Well, and to your point earlier, you know, of the 33 re rebounds that Michigan State had, 14 were to the guards. T you know, yeah. Tyson, 
Jaden, AJ, and then Trey. Look, all, all you got to do for proof of this idea that, um, you know, you're generally as good a rebounding team as your guards, um, look at Purdue. Braden Smith, we talked about, averages rebounds, almost yeah. six. Well, he averages almost six rebounds right. a game. Right. So that performance was not, it was better than normal, but it wasn't crazy. It wasn't mm-hmm. like we're saying, well, Tyson Walker had seven rebounds and that blows out of the water what he does on a on a game in game out basis it's kind of par for the course for Braden Smith so is it shocking when you get that kind of production from your point guard that your team is going to sit in a pretty nice position as a rebounding group no it's what you'd expect so it was good it was a good effort by MSU in that regard all right so we'll get to our five keys of the game brought to you by nudge printing uh, if you need Spartan apparel or apparel from other places, in the, other schools in the state of Michigan, even some other random schools around the country, even including Indiana. Uh, you can go to nudgeprinting.com. They have a great selection. They have all kinds of vintage stuff that you can get from Michigan State, Gruff Sparties, those sorts of things. Uh, all high quality, super soft, comfortable, wearable. Uh, they're washable. They're just great stuff. Our, it's always a favorite of our family. So I'd highly recommend you go check out Nudge Printing at nudgeprinting.com for all your Spartan gear. You get 20% off if you type in Final Four and the coupon code at checkout. Uh, so, uh, first key of the game, Zach Eady. And uh, I will say, and I, I'll admit, I have not really watched that much Purdue basketball this year because I don't find them that interesting to watch because they generally pound people. I've they're a hard, they're a hard watch. Things like that. They're a hard it, watch. It, Zach, and I, and I've heard you talk about how Eady is not very interesting to watch. And I totally agree. It's just like kind of like a freakish kind of guy who's not. Like, it's not like a highly skilled. I mean, he's skilled because he's hitting free throws and he's, you know, he's got his things, but he's not like, it's not like watching Trace Jackson Davis where you're watching a great athlete, you know, compete inside. And I mean, it's a totally different sort of well, post play, I guess you'd say. It's just not, and that, is, and that aside from the, all the ridiculous calls and just the fact that he's, you know, hitting people in the, he puts his arms out and they're like at their head level and so just like clobbering people. I, you know, I don't, it's just, it's hard to watch. Post play. Can can really it, it can be a basketball equivalent of ballet or or dance, you know. And and I'm saying that because it it evokes an aesthetic quality that I think it, that I personally enjoy watching. So you mentioned somebody like Trace Jackson Davis. I had a lot of examples of this. I think Nick Ward had it. Mm-hmm. Um, Zach Randolph certainly had it. Um, lots of guys. Where it's it's primary Jackson Kohler, frankly, has it. And uh, finishing isn't isn't there, but in terms of what I'm talking about, footwork, he's got it. Uh, Zach Eady does not have that. And he doesn't no. need it. He doesn't need it because he's seven feet five, and he's able he's able to convert um, from certain. And I'm and I'm not saying that he hasn't worked on his game and hasn't gotten better. Of course, he has. He's a much more efficient finisher than he used to be. Um, so that's all true, but it's a hard watch. It's not It's not enjoyable. Bad. And look, if I were a Purdue fan, my response to that would be Al Davis. I don't care. Just win, baby. Yeah. I don't, <laughs> yeah, I don't care how it looks. I get that. But for anybody else, it's not fun to watch. And, you know, the kid can't help that. He is who he is. But that doesn't mm-hmm. mean I want to watch it. 
And yeah. and I think that, you know, the way look, I can I can acknowledge that it's difficult to officiate a game with a with a guy like that. And and you've heard this for years about Big Ben. You know, the in the NBA for years people used to talk about how impossible it was to officiate Shaquille O'Neal because he was just just a, a, a behemoth and he did things physically that nobody else could do and so it made it hard for officials to determine well is that really a foul or is that just an action that's happening because he happens to be so much bigger than everybody else right mm-hmm. and yeah and that is a difficult so I acknowledge it's a difficult thing to do but Come on. These guys are getting paid. <laughs> they are getting yeah. paid, so I can have a little bit of sympathy, but not that much. It, you ought to be able to do a better job. And, and it's not just last night's game. It's every game. Yeah. You know, Zach Eady camps in the lane. We all know it. There, there's You could be calling three seconds far more frequently. It wasn't a single three-second call in that game last night. I understand that that's a call that has gone out of vogue in the game, period. Best as I can tell, it's still in the rule book, and it ought to be enforced. And and doubly so, it, it should be a focus when you've got a guy that everybody knows is just hanging out around the rim with his feet in the lane. You know, it's it's yeah. it's not like it's iffy; it's happening all the time. The the stuff you made there, were, there was a call. There was a call on on Malik Hall. Trying to defend him in the post last night at the end. Yeah, that was right, objectively yeah. hilarious because the action, the getting tangled up stuff, was all the the impetus for it was Zach Eady's movement. It wasn't it wasn't Malik. But where does the call go? And say, well, it's impossible. You know, it's just so hard to figure. Not really. No, you can see it on replays. And I understand it's a different thing live, <laughs> but that's why they're getting paid. That's why those officials are officiating games in the Big Ten. They're supposed to be good. So, I, and I can't believe, I, knowing what coaches are like in the Big Ten, I have to believe that this is something that coaches other than Matt Painter around the league have spent a lot of time talking about talking about with officials before games, talking about it with with the league as a whole, and you don't see it change. And that's unfortunate because the guy's got enough physical advantages as it is. We don't have to give him more. Yeah. Well, and also I'm thinking other... There's at least one pretty egregious travel that he had too, or just like yeah. shuffling oh, yeah. his feet and stuff. Yeah, how? Yeah. I mean, the guy. How can you not see? <laughs> just don't right. understand. He's just so big. Maybe there's so much to look at. You're, if you're unless you're back front enough, you can't see. Because maybe. <laughs> but I, but again, I can't. I have no excuses. None. I don't no. accept yeah. any excuses along those lines. I I can I can understand that it's a difficult task. But you know what? You're supposed to be among the best of the best at this particular job if you're officiating mm-hmm. a big 10 game and you're getting paid to do it so do it yeah get the job done we're, we're talking about aj hogard not doing his job well why why would the officials be any different <laughs> 
The only other thing I'd add too that was interesting is that Zach Eady played 37 minutes. I mean, he played virtually the entire game. Yep. And so that is a little bit of a testament to Michigan State and the pressure they put on Purdue. They forced him yes. to have to play that line. Now, he was still able to play that well. And to his credit, he was able to play that well effectively even at the end of the game. Um, so it was, he was, yeah, I can see why he's a national player of the year, but candidate, but again, it's not like aesthetically great. One thing Purdue has, has done, which is smart in, in that regard is they have, they play pretty much exclusively in drop coverage. Now you did see him extend a, a few possessions when Booker was in the game after Booker hit those two threes and in quick succession. Um, but by and large, Purdue does not even bother bringing him out on the floor. So in pick and roll coverage, they're not really asking him to move very much, you know, as one mm-hmm. example. Um, right. They generally, because because they're such a good rebounding team uh, and because they shoot well, too, it's very difficult to run against them. So Zach Eady is not being put in positions where he has to move as much as you would like if you're coaching the opposing team. Now that's not always true against a guy like that. You know, part a big part of that is because Purdue is a good enough team in totality that they can minimize that stuff. Right. You know, right. But that's one of the main reasons. I mean, he's gotten in better shape and all that. I'm not disputing any of that, but another big part of it is, He's not being asked to expend energy the way that you would like to see. And and again, <laughs> this all goes in hand in hand with what might produce optimal results against Purdue, or at least give you the best chance, is something that most Big Ten teams won't do, which is apply that ball pressure, try to speed up the game, and one byproduct of that can be you force everybody, including Edie, to have to move a little bit more. But we, yeah. we didn't see that happen. So consequently, he's able to play 37 minutes and to have them, you know, to be able to play at a high level during all of those. He wasn't sucking wind. Yeah, and I would say, too, I feel like on offense, usually he does not come out and screen a whole lot. And so he's pretty much just hanging out down that in, too. in the lane. Yep. So that so lost less energy even expended on offense. Too. Yeah, yeah. All right. So the second key to the game turnovers. Uh, this is one that Michigan State, as you mentioned before, Michigan State won in the sense that they had seven. Purdue had uh, nine. nine. Michigan State had twelve points off turnovers. Purdue six. So there's a little advantage there for Michigan State. I think they probably would have hoped to have gotten a little bit more from there, and certainly with fast break points, which is not specifically uh, related to that, but sort of. And that was a five to three advantage for Purdue. I mean, it was a really sl- half total half court game you didn't you didn't have many live ball turnovers and yeah chances to get easy points that's that's true um primarily what i what i seem to recall talking about here though was that i felt like it was critical for michigan state to have enough scoring opportunities mm-hmm. yeah right more 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 than oh they need to get purdue to really cough it up because even though Purdue was kind of mediocre in that area. I didn't think it was likely that Purdue was going to have like 18 turnovers in this game. And they didn't. But Michigan State did the job they needed to do, which is they minimized their own mistakes, which meant they were getting chances to score, which was critical. 
yeah, I feel like even a number of those turnovers that Purdue tried to, they got, it was restolen. At least that happened at least twice, if not. So uh, they weren't able to really capitalize much. Uh, so third key to the game is ball pressure. I mean, I think we can say there probably wasn't really much there. That no. was uh, no. your thought. And so, um, and I didn't expect on. it. I didn't <laughs> expect it. And we didn't see it. Yeah. Uh, so fourth key to the game was the ball was the defensive boards, and this is where I again I I thought Michigan State did really well. They held Purdue to a thirty two percent offensive rebounding rate, and I don't feel like the offensive rebounding made a huge difference. It was a little bit of one. Uh, Michigan State countered with a twenty eight percent average. They actually with more because they just had more misses. So Purdue had twelve second chance points. Michigan State had seventeen. So you know that yeah. that I think in any every extent you'd say is a win for Michigan State really for a team yeah, that re- specialized in offensive boards. Realistically. That was pretty close. I'm not going to say it was the the absolute maximum best that Michigan State could have could have brought to the table um, in that area, but it was pretty close. Um, it was not it was not a major reason for the outcome either way. And in fact, which we didn't really emphasize, but Michigan State's ability to generate second chances was better than I would have expected coming into the game. So, because that's not an area they've excelled at all, obviously. And and yet they were pretty productive against a very good defensive rebounding team. So I think, uh, I think hats off to Michigan State for the job they did on the glass. And so the fifth and final key to the game was the three Michigan State, pretty good. I mean, nine of 21. Very uh, good. Very good. <clears throat> 43%. I mean... Yeah, Very I mean, I've, it's so funny because I'm like, there are a number of times when they had some open ones they missed late, which they needed and they didn't get them. But uh, anyway, it was especially they start out real hot in the first half and then they kind of went cold and they got um, behind a little bit, which they came back a little bit with Tyson with that three at the buzzer at the second. And then the, they got that five point flurry to come into the halftime. Um, so, I mean, it was good. Obviously, Purdue's better, though. And so that was that was, you know, maybe that you could say is one difference to the game, too. Yeah, but again, I wasn't I wasn't talking about a what the fact that Purdue shot as well as they did was critical. That was the other yeah. critical thing. But that was not what I was talking about here. What I was talking about is that it was hard to see a path to Michigan State having a chance to win if they didn't get a lot of production from three. It just felt like this was a game where that was gonna have to be part of the mix. And it was. And they Forty-three percent. I'm not ever going to complain about. That was especially in a road environment. You know, the Michigan State shot very well from three, and and the thing was, as opposed to a lot of games this year, if you think about a lot of a very frequent occurrence for MSU this season, where they'll shoot well from three, but it's largely on the backs of say one or two guys. Yeah. So you'll have you'll have one guy go five for seven. And that's got a lot to do with how the team finishes. That was not the case here. I mean, if you look across the board, so you had Tyson was one for two, Jaden one for three, Malik called two for three, AJ Hogard one for two, Booker two for five, Holloman two for four. Or the only guy who had an attempt and didn't hit one was Jackson Kohler. So they really spread the wealth around. That is not something that we've seen typically with this team. So that was that was a nice feature that it, it wasn't just down to one or two guys. All right. Well, I guess we'll leave it there unless you have any final thoughts. I mean, obviously at this point, Michigan State, I, you know, I think they're 
still have reasonable chance of making the NCAA tournament. Obviously, the the margin of error is a lot lot thinner than it was had they won this game they'd have been in. But you well, know, it's within your control, which at the end of the yeah. day is all you can ask for. Michigan State does not have to wait on results from other teams. It's it's pretty simple. Go do your job. And, you know, you've got a Northwestern team that I'm, I'm not sure where all the injuries sit, but they they already <laughs> yeah. had one starter out and they had a couple of other guys leave their game against Iowa. Again, I'm not sure where the, what the status is for those players going forward, but um, they could come in to that game well below 100%. But, you know, we saw against Ohio State, how much that can or may not matter in the end. You know, you still got to go take care of business. That's the position Michigan State's in. They got two regular season games left. You win them both. I think there's zero question that they're in the field. You win one. You might want to have a Big Ten tournament win to put the final nail in the coffin, but it's. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I still think their odds would be pretty good. And... um and if you lose both, you didn't deserve to get in. So, I mean, that's, <laughs> yeah. that's it. Oh, so, yeah. it's all there. Don't disagree. Yeah, and uh, so, yeah, we'll be heading, my family will be heading to Minneapolis for the for the tournament. Uh, see some, Which will be nice because we see some relatives there as well. But um, <laughs> we're certainly hoping for more. Uh, it's, uh, we'll see what how that turns out. And obviously, we've got a couple games left. Michigan State still has time to, I mean, We've seen it before where they kind of figure things out. It's kind of harder to envision with this team because it seems like they've the guards at senior laden guards have had plenty of time to figure things out and they just sort of just haven't at this point. But I don't think it's you know, matchups and I don't think it's about figuring it out because that's that's accurate. It it would be about do they hit a hot streak? Yeah, that's true. That's really well, it. And I would say that the one thing about this team is uh, they have a pretty high ceiling. I mean, we've seen it. I mean, we saw today, last night, it was pretty good. Obviously, it could have been a little bit better. Uh, but we've seen their floors pretty... It's a wide disparity. They're yes. good and they're bad. And yep. so you can envision them beating just about anybody, but you could also see them losing to just about anybody. And 100%. And I think you can you can always say that. You can always say, well, you can beat anybody, you can lose anybody. Uh, but this team truly could well, <laughs> like lose to anybody and be where, and you wouldn't be surprised. The reason why that applies to this team much more than others is that there was a reason why people thought the guard play was going to be elite. There were valid reasons yeah. for that. Mm-hmm. And the fact that it hasn't manifested that way does not mean that the potential on a given night or maybe even a few nights for that to happen is suddenly absent. That's not true. You know, is A.J. Hogard yep. capable of having a night where he's making his layups? Yes, he is. That's what makes it enraging that he doesn't. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, we'll leave it there. Again, I would encourage you to continue to, to uh, support the show by sharing with your friends, leaving five-star written reviews on your podcast player. I appreciate it if you want to throw a couple shekels our way, you can head on over to the support page as well as finding ways to reach out to any of our sponsors to the show. Uh, the Nudge Printing, Brothers Just Your Gutters, or the Squeegee Squad of Grand Rapids. They're all fantastic businesses. We'd love for you to support. Uh, so until next time, the final four is on the schedule. Go green. <laughs>